RadioInfluence.com. You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Hey, everybody. Happy New Year. Welcome to Duffified Live. So I want everybody to know that I actually recorded this show uh, on December 30th, so right before New Year's Eve. So you guys are going to hear this show on the Friday after. So I apologize. It's not going to make a lot of sense. I didn't plan it properly. I'm really sorry. I should have, but I did not. So here's where we are. I'm going to do a really quick kind of 10-minute recap here of what my year was, and I want uh, all of you guys to hold on for a little bit because when I'm done with this crazy little rant, I have a guest who I am just so stoked about. I cannot wait for you guys to hear the conversation that her and I had. So, all right, boys and girls, crazy, crazy, crazy year. I flew 100,000 miles this year. I hit 100,000 miles on American Air, which is something that I never thought I would do on one airline. That's not including all the extra shit and all the extra places that I had to fly on different airlines. 100K on American Air. So um, for those of you that are out there that bitch and complain about how horrible your flight was, take into account what goes on on a daily basis with certain stuff. Okay. Look, the pilot's got to walk the plane. If he sees something wrong, he's got to call maintenance. You're going to be delayed for a couple minutes. Why? Because the pilot wants to do the same goddamn thing that you do, which is... Get to the final destination. That's the key there. So we're going to do a really quick 12-month recap on what I've been, where I've done, what I've done, and where I've been over the last year. Ready, set, here we go. January 2nd, my brother got married in California. Boom, I was there. Ready for this? Right after that, I ended up doing and shooting the first bunch of episodes for my show called Opening Night. I had a great opportunity to get out there and see what was going on and do some really cool stuff with some new properties that were opening that needed my help that we were able to shoot. And I absolutely loved it. Ended up back up there at the Mohegan Sun for the Food and Wine Festival, which is one of my favorite times of the year. Opened up a greenhouse and a teca up in Allentown for opening night, and that to me was just a super, super fun experience. I got uh, an opportunity to get out to uh, La Quinta Resort, which is a Waldorf Astoria property in Palm Springs, which was probably one of the greatest hotel stays that I've ever had. The experience of being in that old kind of Hollywood setting, something that was super cool to me. Nightclub and Bar, one of the biggest years that we've had for the show for Nightclub and Bar in regards to the Food and Beverage Innovation Center happened this past year. Eight chefs, all my friends ended up going out to Vegas with me, working on this food and beverage innovation center. Even friends of mine that weren't in the show showed up. Chad and Panini showed up to help out because they know the importance of this show. And honestly, Panini ended up buying all his goddamn furniture for his restaurants out of that one show. Pretty impressive. Huge fan of that. 
got out to the Mason jar in San Jacinto, California, met some great people. While I was out there. We got to open that up for opening night. Boom. Let's keep moving, moving a little bit further. Ended up going down into uh, Fort Myers, Florida down there for my St. Patrick's Festival every year that I do with these guys. I loved it. I went down to Dallas for a couple of days for some GE, ate a bunch of great food, saw some really cool people. Detroit. Detroit, man. Detroit. When was the last time you were in Detroit? Detroit's a great little town. I got to do an opening night out there as well. We did a super fun show. Um, Pretty nutty on that first round for that first episode that we shot in Detroit uh, for Cork and Gobble. Yes, it's called Gobble, boys and girls, not the Gable. It's Cork and Gobble. Okay. Open those guys up. They were kind of assholes to start off with because they thought that I was going to be an asshole. And they ended up uh, kind of, we took a really, the potential for a super positive episode and they turned it into a negative episode. But you know what? Through the powers of editing and the powers of Food Network and the powers of High Noon uh, production, they turned it into an unbelievable show, which made me really, really pretty happy. Okay. April. Ready for this? Up in Boston. I got to go to Boston in April. Guess what? It was freezing cold. Shit happens. Ready? Then from there, I went out to Sodi, which is salesman of the year uh, for a wine company uh, with some good friends. I got to get out back out to Palm Springs or back out to Sonoma, which I absolutely love. I just had an unbelievable experience. Uh, got down to Texas, Austin, Texas in May, which, uh, oddly enough, I was in Austin on 15 and I bought a barbecue spot on the 21st of May. Uh, Austin was a huge pinnacle for me to be able to see the food, the process, what everybody was doing out there, uh, really changed my view and my vision for my future with what I want to do. My goal is to be able to serve amazing Texas style barbecue with my flair up here in Philadelphia. And if you guys are in the area, I want you to stop by, check out some of the stuff. We're going to be playing around a lot. And in this episode, we're going to talk about some barbecue as well. So if you get a chance, check it out. Also, for me, I'm sorry, I'm sick. I've got a lot of sniffles here. For me, we're going to start doing some stuff with ribs where we're going to start shipping ribs and pulled pork uh, across the country. So if you're interested in that, you're going to be able to go to the website of ardmoreq.com. There'll also be a link on Chef Brian Duffy. There'll also be a link on Duffified Live. You can go over there and you can order your ribs and your pulled pork. Trust me, I love my ribs. I love my pulled pork. I don't know many that do it the way that I do. I'm not a cocky guy like that, but it's just some really badass stuff. San Francisco. Holy shit. San Francisco is an amazing town. So much great food. So much simplicity. I got out there with one of my buddies. We had the opportunity to go and sit down and have Chipino like I've never had in my life. Ever in my life. Okay. Moving into July and June, my vacation with my girls down in uh, uh, the Outer Banks. Fiona, unfortunately, was unable to go, which sucked because it was a family vacation. But guess what? Em and I had an amazing time. I absolutely loved being down there. Uh, You know, we had some friends come down that was pretty important to me as well. And that was something that I really, really, really kind of cherish is that simple week of uh, of not a lot going on. Going into uh, of, of just family time and just friends and just quiet and simple and water and, uh, and beach and sun. And that makes me a happy guy. Um, Spokane, Washington, Tori Lebecki, who is a friend who 
has moved uh, from the Cirque du Soleil world into the culinary world. She's now in chef training right now. She's in there. She's a vegan, and she's going to be doing some pretty amazing stuff. Her and I went out to Spokane, Washington. We rode 1,200 miles with my buddy Andrew, who guided us through the Cascade Mountains and the Dry Falls and uh, Grand Coulee and, and seeing this amazing, uh, just just all inspiring part of the country uh, literally topped off the middle of my year unlike uh, unlike anything that I had, had ever seen. Um, August, drove my daughter down to college. Pretty big uh, week for me. Um, taking my youngest, who's now almost 19 years old, uh, down to college and the close relationship that her and I have had through the year and being able to drive her down there and spend that time with her in a car was a really, really important time for me. And dropping her off at college and even hanging out a couple of days after was really, really big for me and very important. So um, she's flourished into an amazing young woman with a huge brain and a tremendous amount of drive to move forward and do really cool things. And I'm stoked for her with that. That was August, man. September, ready? Bing, bang, boom. I'm all the way out there in Washington State. Then the next thing you know, I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. Next thing you know, I'm down there in California again. Next thing you know, I'm in San- I'm in Sonoma again, going all the way through the month of September. October, I'm out in Sonoma again. I'm in Pittsburgh. Then I'm in D.C. Then I'm in San Antonio. Then I'm back in Philly for the Taste Festivals, which I absolutely love every single year. Okay, Then, next thing you know, boom, Atlanta, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Atlantic City. Okay, I'm just hitting it hardcore across the board that whole month, going back through December. That's how fast that year went. As fast as I could talk about that in 10 minutes, that's how fast my year went. But think about the amount of time that was spent on a plane. What happens when you fly? What happens when you travel is you get a patience. You learn a patience. You have the ability to see so much when you travel. So everybody who's out there, if you haven't traveled or if you only travel a little bit a year, try to add in another trip. Try to take a two-day trip a month. If you can't afford it, get yourself a credit card. Put it on a card. Pay it off over the month. Go and find something really cool. Go out there and see something you've never seen before. That's how I feel about this year is that I got out and I saw stuff that I'd never seen before. And it was always inspiring. I didn't even finish up with my trip I'm down in New Orleans uh, last week where I had one of the most inspiring, creative um, uh, two days of my life uh, that I've that I've really ever had between music and food and friends. It opened up something to me because I was not on a timeline. I wasn't on a schedule. I did have a little bit of work to get done, but there was only so much that I could do because I was in a town by myself with friends that I had to go meet and do that stuff, but there was no timelines. I just experienced every single bit of it that I could from sitting at Cafe Du Monde to going over to Vaughn's and listening to music to heading down to Tipitina's and walking down the street and having some unbelievable tacos, something that I will never, ever forget. Watching my buddy G Love, Big Gary, up there on stage with Anders Osborne, um, just exploding creativity and musical prowess and genius across the board is something that I want to experience on a daily basis. And I'm going to do my best to make that happen. So 
This week's episode um, comes into a person, uh, comes with a person who has a tremendous amount of knowledge uh, about everything that has to do with the world of meat, boys and girls. It's really simple. So everybody do me a huge favor. Welcome to Duffified. Blip, 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 blip. Yep. Don't even edit that shit out, Jerry. Don't even edit that part out. Here we go. Everybody do me a favor and welcome to Duffified Live for this week. Jess Priles. Good morning, Jess. How are you today? I am great. It is a great time to be alive in the world of meat, right? <laughs> I fully <laughs> agree with you as I spent my night in my barbecue restaurant. I've been in my, I have a, I have a barbecue spot up in Philly and I spent uh, the whole week. I gave everybody the week off and it was just me in the kitchen uh, training a, uh, a new guy. So I had a lot of fun this week. It was a good time. Awesome. So. Always good to get back in the pit room for sure. Yeah. So what is your, uh, so let's do this real quick. So why don't you tell us who you are, what you do and how we can get in contact with you or follow you. Uh, so I'm Jess Priles and I am a professional hardcore carnivore. Um, I'm the CEO or owner of the hardcore carnivore line of seasonings. Um, and also we like to call it uh, gear for professional meat enthusiasts. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, uh, I basically teach people how to cook better meat. Um, I'm, I do a lot of stuff that's based in meat science. Um, and you can find me on, uh, Instagram and all of the socials actually at, at Jess Priles. You can find my website, jessprials.com, J-E-S-S-P-R-Y-L-E-S.com. And you can find me at hardcorecarnivore.com. Very nice. So what brought you to, first off, uh, well, no, really. What what brought you into kind of the world of food before we even oh, get into any of the meat stuff? I love that you asked that question because no one has ever actually asked that before. And it's a really simple answer, which is that <laughs> I love to eat. I love to eat. It's just that okay. simple. Like, I remember, like, I was that kid that, like, my mom made pumpkin soup. And I think it was on my fifth bowl that she had to oh, say, like, you might want to lie on the floor and <laughs> but my stomach hurts, I'll just, but it's so good. I'll just pour it in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so we should, um, mm-hmm. no, go ahead. No, it's just, it, it's, it's as simple as always having a love for food and, and being sort of a cooking enthusiast and, um, and, and it sort of went from there. So does your, I mean, was your family, like, were they, were they big into cooking? Was anybody a chef? Was there, you know, I mean, I mean, Australian, uh, we don't, we don't typically hear a lot about the, I mean, honestly, I've never heard about like the Australian family diet. Like we know what the Irish eat. We know what the, what Italians eat, what Jewish eat, you know, like we know all that. I mean, look, I have a lot of friends in Australia. My big joke is that goddamn shrimp with Vegemite. Like, those are the only <laughs> things that – and Foster's, don't get me wrong, which we all know Foster's is a shit beer from what we've heard. But Yeah, and no one actually drinks it. And nobody <laughs> actually drinks it there, except for, like, the Australian volleyball team doing a commercial. Right. Um, but but we don't we don't know a lot about – so, I mean, were, was your family into that? And kind of what is what is that world of food in Australia? So my family were not good cooks at all. Um, my grandmother was a great baker, um, and she was, she's Czech. So it was a lot of European style cakes. And, but my dad used to joke that when he married my mom, all she could do was boil an egg. So she had a very steep learning curve and, um, she's great at like salads and fish now, but never really cooked a bunch of meat when we grew up. 
um, or never really cooked it that well. <laughs> and my dad's version of making, like, for example, this is literally how my dad makes onion soup. You put an onion in some water and you boil it. Sure, sure. And and you have onion soup. So I can't say that I came from a rich culinary background, <laughs> but, um, but just always, I guess, enjoyed. I, I remember my mom would say, you know, I'd come downstairs and, and say, are you cooking this? Because I could smell it. And she just says, you, you just have this ridiculous nose for, you know, smelling ingredients and smelling what was going on. And um, so from a very young age, she would tell me that I could know I was understanding what she was cooking based on what, what, what I was smelling. And I think that's probably an early insight into just someone who's very connected with ingredients and flavors and excited by, by food in that respect, not just, I can smash a bunch of cheeseburgers. Right. Exactly. So, and then, so how does that, how does that kind of move you into the world of quote unquote chef and all of that? So basically it was just that same thing of just, I was just, it really, I enjoyed eating food just as much as the next person and going out for, for meals and what have you. But there was still that big disconnect. I never considered any chef or culinary career. I actually have a degree in uh, communications or PR, um, but which, which is completely useless to me now. Absolutely. Well, but well, yeah, you're right. It is. So I know what you were going to say, which, we're still kind of in communications, but I would argue that if that's the case, it's just because we're both naturally good at communicating with people because I didn't anything that I learned at college actually translated. But um, so basically it actually happened because of the first time that I visited Austin um, or my first trip to Texas, which was nearly 12 years ago now. I'll be celebrating my fifth anniversary of immigration this year, but I was oh, traveling for many years yeah, before, I, before I actually moved. And when you come to Texas, you know, even before, like this whole barbecue revolution is, is relatively new, but even back then it was, you know, you go two-stepping and you go to Barton Springs and you eat barbecue. That's what you do when you come to Austin because what you do in Texas. And I remember having that first taste of a smoked beef rib and, and in Australia now barbecue has exploded in popularity, but it's no more than three years old or so. Um, maybe for four years, but we didn't have anything like that back then. We didn't have any smoked meats. We didn't have any, um, anything like traditional American style barbecue. And so when I had that first taste, it reminded me of when my mom used to like broil lamb chops and I used to sit there nibbling along the (laughs) bone, all those crunchy, crispy, what I now know is Mayardy bits because that was my favorite part. And now here's someone has given me this entire beef rib that tastes like the best part of that tiny little lamb bone. Sure. Um, and my head sort of exploded and it was this amazing experience. So off the back of eating that, I got more curious about how barbecue was made and, and kept coming back to Texas because I'd fallen in love with it and had developed some great friendships here. And so I, I would come back, I would eat more barbecue, and then I would try and learn about it. And then barbecue was just starting in Australia. So people were asking me about it because here I was sharing my love for this newly discovered cuisine. Um, and basically that led me to really getting into, okay, if I'm going to be a sort of authority back in Australia, I really need to, to up my game here and understand how this is, how this is made, what it's all about. 
And as I was trying to figure out why a brisket in the United States was absolutely nothing like a brisket that I was finding in Australia, that led me down this whole rabbit hole of butchery and cattle breeding and, um, you know, understanding the difference in carcass size and understanding like what you're asking your butcher for. And that's one of the things that continues to interest me the most today, which is there's this huge disconnect. It's just unfortunately a little bit of a different language barrier of people when they go into a butcher, whether that be their small mom and pop guy or, um, a, a grocery store that people are don't know what to ask for. They're afraid to ask for the wrong thing. And so they just sort of stick in their safe zone. And that's how I was with cook. Um, I used to buy what in Australia we call a porterhouse, which here we call a strip because it just looked like a whole lot of nice red muscle. And I could just cut the fat off in one go, which right. now I would never do anything. So blasphemous, <laughs> but and, and and that's as far as I got, and maybe I would buy some stew meat every now and again, but because I was intimidated. So through learning about barbecue, it made me understand all this stuff about red meat, especially beef in general. And I was just sort of inspired to give it a go. And I like a challenge. And you know, I, I went out and bought a charcoal grill because I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, you know, well go all in. That's it. And my first smoker was an offset smoker, which is the hardest you know, considered generally the hardest to run and sort of the most crafty. Um, but I knew that if I could master that, I could, I could then work back to any other kind of cooker. So here we are all these years later. Um, and now I'm in a situation where, you know, I, I am still learning and fascinated. I was lying in bed last night reading about, um, pH levels at time of slaughter. (laughs) I'm constantly, (laughs) constantly learning and really the the most enjoyment I get is sharing what I learned with other people that's how I got to be here talking to you today it's that whatever I was learning I was sharing on my website I was sharing through media um through just a position I suppose of being uh, you know like a, a meat in, meat enthusiast a meat um uh missionary you know yeah <laughs> spreading the word and uh and because other people were like, Oh, I get that now. Gosh, it is so simple. Cause so much of it is, look, if you just understand these basic elements, it, it, all of that mystery and, and disconnect between you and your butcher and you and your meat eating goes away. And yeah. I love that part of connecting people back with it. And it's fun. I mean, I, I totally understand what you're saying about that part. When they get into that butcher, or they get in, you know, it's more of a point and shoot type situation. You know, I mean, the average person goes into a grocery store and they're like, I'll take that, you know, because they look at it and they say, OK, it looks like it doesn't have a lot of fat. I can probably not screw it up too bad. Here's where I am. You never hear somebody walking in and saying, hey, can I just have the point of the brisket? Oh, you know, 100%. Can I, mean, I order the flat? What do I do with it? And there's never there's never questions. You know, there's there, never questions that are follow that stuff. I will say. So I think that is one advantage that being Australian gave me, which is it's much, much, much more common to have a butcher shop in like a little stretch of strip mall, like in the little local, local shop, local stores will have a local butcher shop. It's extremely common. Um, well, it used to be in the States. Right. Right. But that allowed me. So for example, like I would go into, you know, our local market 
on a Monday when they were closed, but getting their carcasses in because the butcher was so friendly. He's like, yeah, just come in and watch me break down this carcass right. and I'll tell you about it. And I'll talk to you about it. Obviously you're never going to be able to do that in a grocery store for a million reasons. A finding the right person to let you in B old right. liability, blah, blah, blah. So that helped me out tremendously. Land of but, the freedom, lady. Land of the freedom. <laughs> you Welcome to the country. Yes. I'm, I, <laughs> I I feel like I've settled in pretty well, don't worry. <laughs> but yeah, so we, it just, we, it's, it's a good and a bad thing. And that's the other way you can translate it as well. Because if that butcher is getting in whole carcasses, I know I'm so tangenting here, but it's true. If they're buying in their own meat, if they're buying in their own animals, they can get you more interesting cuts because they're cutting it themselves. Right. However, not, I say this like, you know, if an electrician went to electrical school 40 years ago, chances are he's not going to know about smart lighting unless he's kept up on his craft. Right. So there's different cuts that become popular as well. Like the tri-tip in Texas has only been popular in the last couple of years. And it's possible that a butcher who learned his craft 40 years ago doesn't necessarily know what a tri-tip is because they weren't taught. So when you're dealing with that whole animal butchery, you, you can get more cuts because they can theoretically cut it if they know what it is. Right. Um, but a lot of what we're seeing happening, which is why a lot of people might struggle to find things at even small butcher shops, is that they're ordering in cuts like, uh, you know, bonus strip, uh, boneless strip loins or bonus ribeye rolls to cut their own steaks or, and they're ordering sirloin and they're ordering tenderloin and that's it because that's right. all people want. So you're never going to be able, right. And you'll never be able to order specialty cuts from, from that store because they're just never going to be able to support the you know, cost of bringing that in. I do, uh, I do a lot of work for General Electric. I do these pretty awesome live demos. And I was in Austin a couple months ago. I should have. I wish I would have known. I would have invited you over. But yeah, we do. I do. I do this one oven that's called the Advantium, which cooks fifteen times faster than a conventional oven because it cooks with forty five hundred watts of light. And okay, I do you're a two. Me how to use that because I actually have one and I've never used it. Oh my god, it's brilliant! <laughs> oh, it's the greatest thing you can do. So I do a two point two pound. Tomahawk ribeye, and I do it in 16 minutes. Oh, my God. Okay, so now, granted, you're not getting char, you're not getting smoke, you're not getting all that good stuff, but you're getting a sear from the bottom plate that's in there, so you are creating that Maillard. You are creating that oh. crust on the outside of it that's really nice, but you can do like a three-and-a-half-pound fryer in 23 minutes. Dang. Like a fryer chicken in 23 yeah. minutes, I think it is. So it's there's a lot of really cool things, but we don't have to get into that. But as I go across the country, and we try to find great butcher shops and all of that stuff around the country, I'm going to honestly say that 25% of the places where I go will either have one or they'll say, well, we might be able to get one in for you. But a lot of people just don't carry it. They don't know what that is. You know, they don't yeah. understand. They don't have that. And I've actually we've asked people, you know, in, in chain grocery stores, you know, like a Whole Foods or something like that. Can you guys get one? And they're like, we don't even know what it is. Yeah. And I think there's so I, I've unfolded. It's sort of like layering, peeling back the onion. Right. So as I gone on in this journey, I get excited about learning about new cuts and sharing them with people, especially my big thing is also. I guess what they call in the industry value adding. So 
we have primary and secondary cuts, especially when we talk about beef. And a primary cut, for example, would be a tenderloin because heaps of people like it. It doesn't need any help selling. It's the most expensive on the animal. But there's there's two tenderloins on one animal, you know, on one whole animal. And it makes right. up a tiny percentage of the whole animal. So we have a duty to kind of look at these other cuts and celebrate them and understand how to best cook them instead of just talk, constantly talking about the ones that everyone is already aware of. Um, which I love, as I mentioned, the, the problem with it is where you start getting into a little bit of a, a, a funny spot is, do you have a, do you have a, a role as an influencer or whatever you want to call it to maybe not try and find the really impossible cuts because no one else is going to be able to find them. So if right. I start talking about like, there's this one steak called the spider steak, which comes out of the inside of the hip out of the H bone. And really? it's like, yeah, the only place that you will be able to get it is at a super, I nearly want to use the word hipster mom butcher shop that is buying in whole carcasses that will take it out and sell it to you. Um, because otherwise it's not worth it. And they just usually take that steak out um, and put it in grinds because it's not worth it for like a processing plant to do it. So, I had to look at it. I had to Google it. I'm going to let you know I've never yeah. heard of a spider steak. Spider so steak, it's, it's oyster steak. Modern. So what is this? More modernly than the hanger, the steak is also referred to as the oyster steak. Uh-huh. <laughs> but so it is on my website because I got taught about that steak when I went into that butcher shop on the day they were closed. And he's like, oh, wow. yeah, we usually keep this for ourselves. It's a little butcher treat. And what's happened since then is I have a whole bunch of there. People basically want to be meat Columbus, especially because of Instagram and stuff like that. They <laughs> love kind of nearly showing off by cuts that other people can't get. Right. But I think there's a responsibility in some oh, ways like that most people just aren't going to be able to get this cut. So is it really helping the cause or is it really contributing something positive when you're talking about cooking something that most people won't have access to? So I go through that a lot as well. I think it's kind of an interesting conversation to have. And, and I think you, I think you lose people at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I know that, you know, look, I go in, I do live videos all the time, especially around holidays. I try I'm in my kitchen a lot during the holidays in my, my personal kitchen at home. So, you know, there were a lot like this week I was talking about, um, you know, breaking muscles down and, and, and pulling beards and going through all that stuff. And when, when you started to talk about beard and get into that, like the average American doesn't ever see that because they're already cleaned. Right. They're already ready to go. So when I have those conversations and I look and I'll look down and I'll see that the further into it that I go, that people will actually start to drop off because now you're talking about something that that most people just don't know about. So yeah, they don't I know about it. They're, they're, they want to get educated. Right. But at the same time, I'm never going to have to deal with that. So I, I don't need to watch this anymore. And, and you know, that's where. I, I do a presentation at Texas A&M University for Camp Brisket every January. And we talk about the differences between restaurant style and competition style brisket. And the way that I equate it is that, you know, you, you have people that dine at Michelin star restaurants and you have people that dine at Applebee's. Right. And there's all kinds of different stuff for different folks. But the majority of people are not going to Michelin restaurants but Applebee's can handle a majority of people wanting to eat there, for example. 
And so you, we, I think, have to find our way somewhere between the two of, of those spectrum, which is, I think you should probably be talking about beards on muscles so people realize that that's how they come out of nature, just like you don't buy, you know, the, the cow doesn't give birth to a perfectly foam trade and plastic wrapped steak. Um, but at the same time, you're right. Like you don't want to go too far down the line. So I think that information and education is definitely important. Um, but there's also something to be said, I think, again, for that world that we're, that we're in right now, which is, you know, when are people dropping off? What's their attention span? What kind of interactions are they looking at? And, and you get too focused on metrics. I try and stick with the message, you know, and, and believe that that's the right thing to do. But you also, I think, have to know your audience at that point. I mean, For Camp sure. Brisket is a lot different than a Facebook Live video. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> a there's bit. a huge thing, which, by the way, can you explain to me what Camp Brisket is? Yeah. So it's actually an initiative from Foodways Texas, which is the Texas version of, you, y'all might have heard of Southern Foodways Alliance. It basically is, it's a not-for-profit that's based out of the University of Texas that records oral histories of food in Texas, wow. uh, food and beverage. And they teamed up with Texas A&M University, who have a world-class meat science facility. Um, there's the professors there, uh, Dr. Sable, Dr. Griffin, and Ray Riley, um, run this incredible center. They basically they do a barbecue 101 course for the kids, the actual students at A&M can take. But twice a year, they run brisket camp in the winter and camp barbecue or barbecue camp in the summer. And it's basically like barbecue camp for adults. So yep. you go for two days and it's not necessarily hands on. Um, you do eat a lot of barbecue, but you sit there with some of the panels of some of the best um, pitmasters throughout the state. Oh, yeah. There's, a- there's Aaron Franklin right there. Yeah. Aaron used to do them a bunch. He was probably the one who helped shine the spotlight on it. So. Uh, they do panels on wood and smoke and smoker design and uh, meat. And there's a blind tasting, for example, of brisket camp. There's a blind tasting of five different types of brisket, including Wagyu, Wagyu Cross, Choice, um, all to demonstrate, you know, the importance of, for example, the raw product. So it's super fun for sure. By the end of it, everyone's just looking for like a raw carrot or something, just anything crunchy and fresh because <laughs> you eat so much meat. You actually hit that point. Um, but it's an incredible, it's an incredible. Are you going to be there this year? Yeah. I speak every year. I, I, I think do I might come down. Every year. Yeah, absolutely. It's, maybe, I'll, uh, maybe I'll come down. It's, I will say that tickets sell out in about 60 seconds. But I'm sure you could talk to some people. <laughs> I, I, yeah, hopefully I can know somebody. There you go. And make that happen. Huh. Become a member by noon on Sunday, July 20th, July 14th. Will I miss that deadline? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> just to, just and, and the tickets went on they uh, go July 15th. Track. So, yeah, so I missed that completely. We're going to have to pull a string or two, I think. I'm going to get that somebody yeah. on that one real quick. Um, you know, I, I, let, let, do you mind talking about brisket for a little while? You know, I mean, I think the basic barbecue and what people love to do where we are, you know, the idea is, hey, I can grill a steak. I put some sauce on it. That's where I go. Ribs. It's amazing to me the amount of people that have trouble with the rib, you know, just and I'm talking about pork. I'm not even getting into the beef part of it because beef where I am. I mean, I'm at Philadelphia. People don't get the beef rib. They don't understand it. They just know that it's a big fat hunk of meat. 
the most people that come into my place, because my my barbecue was inspired through Austin. And honestly, it was a trip to Austin that really kind of lit me up. I've always loved smoking. I've always loved the science of smoking, the play of smoking. You know, I started off with a a, a smoker box in my, you know, my grill in the backyard. I kind of moved up to a Bradley, which actually I really like the Bradley. The consistency of it works really well for my needs as a chef who opens restaurants because mm-hmm. I can kind of get it down to a science of where I need to be and what I have to do. How much smoke, how much heat, how much time. Now with my new barbecue spot, I've got a barrel smoker outside. But the conversations that I have with people in regards to the basics of, of ribs, and when it gets into brisket, it's the number one question that people ask me. And I'm in no way an expert. You know, I bought this little barbecue spot kind of as a, as a fun project for me to add to my kind of repertoire of what I've done over the years. Mm-hmm. But so, so where is, first off, where's the best brisket you've ever had? Let me just do that right off the bat. I can't answer that question. <laughs> it's like it's like when people say to me, "What's the favorite thing? Your favorite thing to cook?" Exactly. You know, I mean, it's, it's that's and I, my response to them is, "Well, who's your favorite child?" Yes, and you know, the thing is, I, there are great memories that you have in food. It's it's um, and even usually people ask me, "What's your favorite joint in Austin?" And I have like a list of a few that I'm I know are great places that I've had great meals that I'm happy to share. But sure. if you ask me to narrow it down to one, part of the problem is that, you know, everyone has good days and everyone has not so good days, too. Right. And I've had great meals at some places. I've had good meals at some places. I've had days where, you know, something went all out wrong um, with, with the smoker or the briskets or what have you. So it's hard to give one recommendation because it's hard. You talked before about the importance of a chef of being able to dial it in and reproduce it identically. And all of these kind of famous places that we talk about in Austin and Texas barbecue are running big offset smokers. And that's that type of smoker where you've got wood on one side. And the only way you can control the fire is through adjusting your air vents. There's no, there's no other automation to it. It is fun, but it's, there's something about that though. There's that it's the, it's the control that you have. You know, I, I can work on a grill and I can move a steak from one side to another. I can mm-hmm. go into an oven and I can control the temperature. I can go to a fryer. I can go to a pan, whatever it is. But there's something very raw about sliding, you know, opening up the baffles a little bit, changing, you know, the, the, what, what's going in. There's something that's just raw about that to me. Yeah. That I yeah. love. Yeah. I mean, that's why people are obsessed with it. You know, that's why it's exploded. That's why these guys, instead of, you know, buying a rotisserie pit or an electric pit are kind of committing to this craft. It's not, it's just different. It's just a different way to approach it. Um, and, and you know, that their barbecue is also more expensive because of it, because it just includes much more labor. So much more Um, goes into it. Yes, absolutely. And there's things that can go wrong and it, it, there's, there's just so many variables, but. Well, and I've, um, I've noticed the last couple of the last couple of months that my briskets have been unbelievably inconsistent across the, the board. The other thing, so the, the biggest thing that, you know, people talk about brisket, like it's some holy grail and in many ways it is, but you forget that taking the smoker out of it, 
taking the wood type out of it, you know, taking all of these other, the seasoning, the weather, it just talking about the brisket, (laughs) that is a natural product where no two, unless you're talking about clone steaks, which is a whole other conversation, no two are alike. Um, and, and you're starting off with a natural variable product that just, no matter how much science we have, sometimes responds differently in cooking. And that's why, you know, I, I think that even no matter, no matter, even in your situation, a great barbecue joint will feel or temp or whatever their system is, each brisket individually, instead of saying, oh, timer went off, there you go. Because we just don't know, even if we're buying all prime briskets, whatever the case is, just sometimes they cook up differently because it's a natural product. So <clears throat> let's and let's talk about the basics, uh, the basics of kind of cooking a brisket. What mm-hmm. is your what's your your I mean, what what? let's do it this way. What suggestions would you give to me to create a perfect brisket? So whether I, it be time, whether it be temperature, whether it be like wood, you know, I'm not changing my wood up. I use a five, I use five different types of wood, super hard woods when I smoke. Um, and you know, I mean, so what, what would you, if I were to say to you, how do I stop fucking up a brisket? What are you cooking on? That's my so first question. My inside smoker, I have a gas smoker that I, um, with a wood chamber in the base. I don't know the name of the smoker. I can't remember what it is. Okay. Um, but it's basically, it's a gas-fired wood smoker. Okay. So the best brisket I've ever had uh, have all been very simple and allowed the beef flavor to shine. Right. So these are my top tips for not fucking up a brisket. One, don't By the way, I'm so glad that we can curse now because I've been holding oh, yeah, myself right? back for a little while. <laughs> and it's kind of given me a little bit of odds. You just so you know. <laughs> so, I, I, I think it's one of those things where, um, you know, you're talking about, obviously, like I said, you're talking about natural products, but don't go and watch a whole bunch of YouTube videos and then buy your first brisket because all you're going to do is complicate Jeez. things. Sure. Okay. Because what you're going to see is people injecting and prodding and pressing and over seasoning And you're never going to understand how to cook that brisket if you're basically trying to put all of this makeup on it before you've even understood the core of it. And one Uh, thing, just to interrupt you real quick, one thing that I've found just through my research over the last however many years that I've been cooking and everything else is that when you get involved in barbecue or you get involved in smoking, what most of these people are talking about is competition style stuff. They're not talking about the basics of it. Yeah. And that brings I mean, I'm not going to get back into it, but that's full circle. Why I give that presentation of brisket camp. They're right. not the same thing, competition versus restaurant brisket. So right. the first thing is I would personally never inject the brisket. There's no need to. And, and it just, again, shows you that people are confused about what they're looking at and what they're doing. I get people say, well, can I, can I brine it first? Well, if you're brining a brisket, you're, you're curing it. And that means you're making pastrami. Okay. Right. Effectively. Um, so I would recommend that you buy a brisket and just learn how it cooks, understand how it cooks, understand how to try and bring out that best beefy flavor. I season my briskets obviously with my own hardcore carnivore black seasoning here in Texas. It's very traditional to just use salt and pepper, maybe a little bit of garlic 
in addition to it. But very few of us here go over the top in terms of seasoning. Um, and certainly no restaurants here inject or, or those sort of craft restaurants, I should say. Right. So the size of the brisket also matters. There just comes a point where if your brisket is too small or you're flat, which is that bottom part of the brisket is too thin, you're just going to be pushing shit uphill. Like you can't turn shit into strawberry jam, as we yeah. say. Um, it just needs to be a minimum physical size to be able to stand up to the amount of time it needs to be in the smoker, um, which is which is a big part of it too. Then you the quality does matter. So the grade of the meat does make a difference to the final result. It's a reason that a lot of the competition guys use the Wagyu cross briskets because they're going to get that more luxurious fatty mouthfeel that they're looking for in competition, but a select brisket, which is sort of the lowest public grade available to purchase is just going to be a much harder cook because fat is the vehicle of tenderness and flavor. So the higher the grade, the higher the amount of fat in the, in the um, brisket itself or in the cut of meat itself, it's just going to be easier to get a better result. But the most, the thing I suppose that most people want is how long is my brisket going to take? And what temperature do I have to cook it to? So we know when we cook meats to rare, that that's going to be 130 or 125 degrees, sorry. Like when we're cooking steak to temperature, using a thermometer is incredibly reliable because, you know, like I said, 125 is rare. 130 to 135 is medium rare. 135 to 140 is medium well. And then beyond that doesn't matter anyway. But (laughs) it's true. But we know that's reliable. What's not reliable is temping barbecue. There is no temperature when it's done. And that comes back to what I was saying about that natural product. Because when it finally gives up and lets itself kind of relax and lets all that collagen convert to gelatin and lets all those fibers uh, really become tender, is different in every piece of meat. Um, that's why when we cook to tender, and I think that's also why ribs are such a challenge to get them to the point where they're to the point where you can bite them off the bone without falling off the bone. Cause that's actually a very little window, but, yeah. um, there is no answer on time and temp on a brisket and Aaron Franklin, who is arguably the most famous brisket cook of all time, uh, tells you that in his restaurant, people are trained. They pull the briskets when they're ready by feel. There's no yeah. time. There's no temp. Um, because they all respond differently. And the biggest pain in the butt with being a great brisket cook is that it just takes nothing else but practice. Yeah. And unfortunately for a lot of people, you know, it can be a bit of an expensive exercise to buy a, you know, 60 plus dollar brisket and just keep cooking and cooking and cooking. But that's why the barbecue guys get so good because sure. every single day, practice. Right. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. You're going to get pretty good at them. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's funny because when I'm in my place and I get, you know, I, I, the last couple of weeks. So I buy an Allen Brothers brisket. So they have a mm-hmm. top, you know, they use the top third choice, blah, 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 blah. With what they do, with what they, they bring in. 
And I try to explain to my guys because it's it's a pretty varied pack. You know, I buy a master case of five usually, which is what I go through in about two two to three days. I'm a really small place, and and honestly, my brisket isn't my favorite thing to cook. You know, everything else that I do, my pork, my ribs, everything else is really the direction. My sausages, all of that stuff, are are really what I sell more of. But the area where I live is a very Jewish area. They're not used to a classic. Uh, you know. Uh, Texas brisket. So my, my brisket is being sold not to the average person who walks in. There's people that come in and ask for brisket that they know what brisket is. And I totally lost my train of thought of where I was going with that conversation. <laughs> I, can I tell you just Completely. to bite here? That happens to me all Fuck. the time. And it is the worst when you're doing these kind of things. Yeah. You're, oh, you're great. And then this thing happens where it feels like someone just opened the plug on your brain and everything drained out and you got nothing. God and it's damn it. I wonder, if, I wonder if like all of this technology is doing this to us. It I don't totally know. is. We're so – and that's what I find when you know when, when people – even with me when I'm Googling something, if I'm trying to find out about something new, I'm trying to find about something, something fun or whatnot, you end up getting lost. It's like watching YouTube. You go right. and you start looking at how to cook at a brisket and, and 27 minutes later, you're watching cats <laughs> jump out of a tree onto a mattress. You know, it's like, okay, let's, let's figure it out here. But, but where I was going was the, the variation and the difference in the briskets that are coming in. And cause I, you know, I can have a recipe set up and I can say, okay, look, here's where we're cooking and this is what we're doing. And this is how long you're going to turn here. You're going to base, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. But if I get a brisket in, that's, that's 12 pounds or a brisket that's 14 or a brisket that's 10, they're completely different products. So yeah. it's a constant motion of product. And in reality, the average cook these days forgets to even put wood in the goddamn smoker. Yes, it's, <laughs> it's a totally different product. So right. if you were just going to break down the basics of a time and a temp on a 12 pound brisket, which is what I find that most people around here end up getting, where is that world? Well, And I, and I have I a follow up question with that. Okay. I cook them a little hotter than most people because I feel like it can handle it and that you get a little bit more aggressive bark. Um, so I'm cooking at 275 to 300. Wow. And generally, yeah. I mean, that's big. Yeah, it is. But again, if you understand your smoker and understand your heat, like it, it can handle it. Yeah. Um, there, there are places that go even hotter than that. That's the thing. You can, you can experiment with a four hour brisket too. This, and is this an offset or? Yes, I cook okay. on an offset. So I actually have my own signature offset that I designed with a local firm called Pits and Spits that hand built smokers here. So they actually, honestly, they actually built my barrel. Oh, that's outside, awesome. my, that's outside of my place. Yeah. There you go. See. Yeah. So yeah, so we've designed the JP Signature Edition, and that's what I'll barbecue on. I have one of their pellet grills too that I I use kind of twofold for recipe testing, but also like. You know, I think the best barbecue comes off an offset, the best tasting barbecue. I think you can get great barbecue off many other styles of cooker, but um, there are so many people that own pellet grills now. You have to be able to speak to yeah. what they're doing, and it's wonderfully convenient for recipe so, testing, and then I'll a, hone it on the other two. I, I, that's such a great thing to hear somebody say. So many well, people have pellets that anti. now – Yeah, well, I mean – and look, <laughs> look, you know, I mean, me owning a Bradley – you know, I mean, I use a compressed puck, but 
I think that it, it, it honestly, it promotes an amazing smoke flavor and it's a super consistent smoker to smoke in. It's got a great seal that goes around it. I can control the temperature, the smoke, the time all within one little electronic panel. So when I do testing to me, I can put something in there and I can say, okay, here's where we're going to go with this so that I can tell the average human or in some cases with some of my clients that I work with in restaurants that I open, you know, we go, we go pretty technological. We really move into that technology because it's easy and it's consistent. You know, I think you're a hundred percent right. And the best analogy I can make for it is to talk about stock or broth, which is, I make my own chicken stock. I make my own venison stock, but I also buy it from the grocery store depending on what I'm cooking. Because if I'm just doing a quick, easy weeknight meal, I'll just use stuff from the store. I mean, I'll try and buy it, you know, better than the the very base model. But um, if I'm doing a whole sort of grand celebration recipe, because I think that's how we cook at home too. We have easy meals and then we have, Hey, I'm doing this 44 hour. Right. And then I'll use my homemade stock, but I don't, I'm not here with enough time to make, you know, endless amounts of stock because I'm also not a restaurant and I'm cooking for myself and I'm cooking for my family. And that's just what, what you need to do to make it work. So, uh, yeah, during the week for recipe testing, the pellet grill for sure. If I want to make a kind of showcase piece of barbecue, I'm firing up the offset because that's, what's going to give me the best result. Just like arguably rich, slow made stock is going to just be inherently more flavorful than store-bought, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's what I'm cooking on. Um, I'll cook a little hotter. I'll make, uh, generally, I think it, it usually takes somewhere between 12, uh, 10 to 14 hours for that brisket um, to hit where it wants to be. But if I can give anyone one piece of advice, it's the most important part of cooking a brisket is not just in the cook, it's also in the rest. And that's what a lot of places do here. If you rest a steak for 10 minutes after you cook it for, you know, 30 or 40, it's proportionate, right? Yeah. Um, You can rest a a brisket for two to four hours. And the most the most important piece of uh, kind of knowledge bomb I can drop on your listeners is that if you take a brisket out at, let's say it's over 200 degrees, which it arguably is, and you immediately hold it or put it in a hot cooler or put it in a Cambro or, or any kind of holding device, you're holding that brisket at 200. So it's going to continue to cook. If you truly want to hold a brisket, let it drop in a temperature and then hold it. It has to be above 140 degrees. That's a safe temperature. Right. But if you let it come down and let it truly cool rather than continuing to cook and then hold it and allow all of those muscle fibers that have been under stress and strain to truly relax, just relax. it completely yeah. changes the texture of the final cut brisket. Yeah. You just got to so, very Like I'm literally sitting here and I'm kind of drooling a little. <laughs> Because it's it's the way, and it's so funny to hear somebody else talk about a product that is so really. It, I mean, it's it it was a shit cut of meat. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there really wasn't a lot that went into that with the exception of that Texas world and, and, and people that were doing it that way. And, you know, I mean, even, even in regards to, you know, the area where I live, you know, the big joke is my mother makes the best brisket, you know, and, and I've had the old Jewish ladies come in and be like, yeah, your brisket's fatty. And I try to explain to them, I've pulled cutting boards off of a rack and put a brisket out of my smoker and put it on a board and explained it for 10 minutes. This is how it works. This is what we do. And she goes, "Eh, it's still fatty. (laughs) And it's like, oh. You're not going to win that argument, you know. Ever. You're not going to win an argument with an old Jewish lady. And I can say that because my grandmother is one. So. Now, are uh, you, I mean, are you, are you. Are you cutting fat off of your brisket all at all? I mean, are you, you know, how much fat are you leaving on your brisket and how much fat in those muscles on either side of the point where the points meeting the flat, are you cutting, are you cutting any of that out at all? Yeah. So fat on a, on a piece of meat can only render so much unless you're actually rendering fat into tallow. Okay. And that's why we trim steaks back. It's why we trim briskets back. Generally, somewhere between a quarter inch and a half inch is what most people will trim a brisket to. And it's because if you leave more fat than that on there, it just it, it has an unpleasant texture. It doesn't start to render down. It doesn't start to change consistency. So it's got that more pleasant mouthfeel and melty mouthfeel. So you do have to trim it back. Um, you can do things with the fat that you trim off. So there's no, there really isn't any waste when you know what you're doing. But if you want that result where it's that lovely little, little hint of, of fat that melts and coats your mouth, that's fine. But you know what, these women and the aversion that they have and people who say, oh, I don't like it fatty have probably been served brisket that maybe was cooked really hot and fast with all the fat left on. So the fat is not pleasant. Um, and I can understand why they wouldn't want that. It's not just a matter of kind of, you know, dick swinging and being like, Oh, I'm going to eat all the fat. Cause it's delicious. Like I got, I get it. It. I got this. Sometimes I got this. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's not, if it's not rendered properly, it really is not a pleasant experience. I get it. So you do have to trim your brisket back. Um, a safe, safe level is a quarter a uh, bit more ambitious is about a half an inch. And even on things you're, you know, like what I was saying about if that flat is too thin, it, you're not going to have a good result. You really are going to cremate it in the smoker. So there's no shame in really trimming it to the shape that you think is going to perform best and saving all that other trim to grind for burgers or to flavor stocks and stews. There's all sorts of stuff you do with it. But if you leave it on that brisket and don't trim it, that's the part that's going to kind of turn to leather. So you may as well maximize your purchase by using it for something else. Yeah, we do. uh, Actually, I'd love to. It's so funny. We're talking about stock. We do a uh, I do a smoky poutine. So we actually smoke, we take, uh, well, we take our fat and I, whatever my trimmings are and I smoke them and I render them out. But then I take that fat itself that's left, that tallow that's in there. And we actually dice that up and freeze it. And that goes into our burgers. So -hmm. we'll take that smoky fat and pop it in there. But we take all of our backs and we break all of our chickens down the whole nine yards and we brine them and we smoke them. And then we make stock out of all of it. So I make a smoke demi-gloss. Mm-hmm. Um, that we put over top of our fries that's got pulled pork Ooh. and smoked chicken and smoke and brisket and everything on there. And it's that pretty tasty. Amazing. It's pretty fun. It's, you know what I mean? It's like, it's the dumbest of the appetizers that we have on the menu <laughs> for where we are, but it's, it's, 
you know, other than my ribs and my brisket and my pork and stuff like that, it's the number one selling to go item. Mm-hmm. that we have is that poutine that we put our, you know, and we tell people take the Demi, pop it in the microwave for 20 seconds before you that's get, you know, amazing. before you put it on because we serve it on the side. So it doesn't get all soggy and shit, but, but we make stock. I mean, it's a constant, you know, we're constantly making stocks you know, yes. for, for Thanksgiving. We do, uh, I, I, uh, I, I spatchcock turkeys. I debone the whole thing except for the wing and the, the legs. And then mm-hmm. we, we, we stuff it with cornbread and caramelized onion and the whole nine yards. And then we roll uh, this year. I rolled them, um, tied them, smoked them and roasted them. And then we sold smoked turkeys to everybody. Oh, they're awesome. It's such a, you know, it's something I've always wanted to do. And there's literally the only things that are on there, the wing bone that I actually break the wing at the joint. I slice down to that joint right where it meets. So the wing bone will actually, that entire wing will run flat along the side of your Turkey. So it kind Mm -hmm. of holds it its form. I'll send you a picture of what I have of, of one of the ones that we did. And then all you have to do when you get it home is you cut the, the wing off and you can mm-hmm. slice through it. So you literally have a roulade of Turkey Oh my God. Where we break down the breast. So if the breasts are super thick, we'll actually take the tenderloin out of the breast mm-hmm. and then we'll fillet open the breast a little bit. And then we fill in the spots where there are no meat. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy process for what we do. We sell them for a 12 to 15 pound Turkey on Thanksgiving for $119. And oh. with that, you get a quart of this smoked gravy that we took all that we smoke, all the carcasses, and then we turn all the carcasses, the hearts, everything into a, a demi, into a gloss. Uh, it's fucking crazy. I and know. I, you're, this is like, a, this is, I'm, I'm drooling now. So thank you for passing that. Uh, it, it was one of my favorite. I've always, honestly, when I bought this place, and I've opened close to 100 restaurants, whether it be for clients, for myself, for, you know, other other people, employers that I had worked for, whatever it is. I've opened close to 100 restaurants, 15 of them being barbecue places. The day that I bought this place, the first words that came out of my mouth were, I can't fucking wait till Thanksgiving. Because <laughs> I've wanted to do that for so long. And we mm-hmm. sold a bunch of them. And the worst part about it is watching people. And I say to them, all you're going to do is make a cut here and pull this string. And it's mm-hmm. going to pull all of it's going to pull all of the trussing out of there. All you got to do is pull that cut off the wings. People are sending me pictures of like a turkey cut down the middle with a big fucking spoon in it, like scooping everything out. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're killing me. You're killing me on this. All the work. Because each turkey's, you know, I mean, between smoking and roasting is three hours. But it's right. an hour-long process to debone, get it set up, stuff it, bone it, you know, debone it, roll it, tie it, and get it set. So whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm getting into way too far. But um, I mean, but there are people who need to know. Oh, it's just there's, there's so – and as a chef, there was so much satisfaction – from that one, pro- honestly, better than the best rack of ribs I've ever cooked. Mm-hmm. Better than the best brisket that I've ever cooked. Better than the best pork, pork that I've ever had. Epic. The satisfaction of that bird was one of my, in my 48 years, in my 26 years of being a chef, that was uh, uh, the weirdest pinnacle moment for me. Good Lord. I mean, that's so stupid. So right. stupid. Yeah. Wow. Just dipping it into that fucking gravy. And I was like, and then I got to Thanksgiving and I was like, all right, cool. I didn't even have one for my own house. 
Because my mother cooks Thanksgiving. She does it the Martha Stewart style. And it's the greatest turkey. Her, her turkey's awesome. It's totally different than mine, but I don't know where I went with that. But you get it. Well, that's because it's food. I will just say super quick. Like, there's a whole theory that I have about the best meals, people's best meals, either being related to a family memory or a travel memory. Well, and do you get to travel much? I mean, are you are you out there much? Oh, yeah. I travel a lot for work. I, yeah. I teach classes all over and go to events. And, you know, last year I was in I, think I was in Australia in October and then again in November for a different event. And I've been to Brazil and Sweden and all over the States. So, yeah, I do. It's short, such a short weird answer, yes. to think about what it is that we do today. It's so odd to me. I mean, I never knew. I mean, I, when I walked into culinary school, this short, not short, I mean, I guess I'm five, nine, I'm short. I own it now, but I walked into culinary school with really just a, you know I mean? With my white jacket on my check pants, my stupid fucking floppy hat on with a toolbox full of knives. <laughs> and I never, ever thought that this is that I would have flown. I mean, I hit a hundred thousand miles this year. You know, on one fucking airline, I hit 100,000 miles and the places that I've been, the food that I've eaten. And you know, what's funny is I, I, my two most amazing experiences food wise this year were one Austin. Austin just Mm -hmm. blew me away this year. Every single spot that I went to, whether it was a food truck, whether it was Terry Black's, whatever it was, just blew me up. And I do enjoy Terry Black's. I think that their beef ribs are out of this world. Huge fan of them. Yes, the Terry Blacks do an excellent job. They're on my list of one of the great places to try. They never have an extra large T-shirt, though. I'm just going to let you know. Um, What? Yeah, I can't get a fucking T-shirt from them. And they have great shirts. But the style and the way that they do it with that, with it's, it's, it was something that I want to emulate when I start, cause I'm just building the place that I have right now. But as right. I build it, that is the style of, of something that I want to do. I want to be able to walk through a line. I want to say, I want that, yeah. that, that, and I want you to do this. Nope. You know what? Fuck that. Give me another half a pound of sausage. You know, the way <laughs> that they cut it, the way that they do it, the process in which they have has really, it's, it's something that I'm going to emulate someday. And I've got a small spot right now, but for some reason, I have zero interest. Uh, it, it's, um, you know, that, that relates to the history of Texas barbecue, right? Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. Oh yeah. Trust me. I've done, do you know, God, do you know, Nick Pensis? Of course. Okay. So Nick is an old friend of mine for years. Awesome. And Nick is a and great. And he's way out there in East Texas. Yeah, too. I know big time. And I talked to him when I was down there. Cause you know, you never realize how big, you never realize how big Texas is and is until you're like, Oh, you're from Houston. Why don't you come into Austin and see me? And they're like, eh, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe three, I will. three hours. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> Texas just won best food in the, they're saying Texas is one of the the number one States in the country for food. I believe that. I, I really so do Houston I. is exploding with their food scene. Austin's had a run so at it. Excited. Fort Worth is incredible. Summer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, second city, New Orleans. I closed my year off with New Orleans and it, it, it was it was like a, it was like a grand celebration to me. I'm going but, for my birthday this year. I I mull in. Okay. Trust me. It's like a whole are you a music it's, it's fan? It's an endurance sport too. Yeah, for sure. It's, okay, so, it's the city that delivers on all fronts. So have you ever heard of Vons? The lounge? Yeah. Yeah. Like the shithole over in the corner off of uh, Frenchman? 
Well, yeah, I, hit, doesn't, I hit Vaughn's for the first Kermit time. Doesn't Kermit Ruffins cook there? I have no idea. I don't know who cooks there because I was it was late and there was a lot okay. more going on inside of my body than red beans and rice. <laughs> and and it was, you know, I mean, just found I was down there with my buddy uh, G Love. I don't know if you know who he is. He's a musician. Yeah. So G and I were down there and he ended up on the harmonica. And at one point G looks at me and he's like, look at this shit. And there's two 80 quart stock pots on a table with, with styrofoam plates or styrofoam bowls and spoons in each one. And it was just red beans and rice. And I reached into one and pulled out a pork cushion that was just on my spoon. And I was like, I, I don't, I don't want to put the fucking thing back. Like it's mine now. I own it. I picked it up. <laughs> I caught it. It was on the end of my line. Like lucky this dip. Is yeah. Me. And I sat there for probably 30 minutes and just scraped away at this cushion with fucking beans. And it, it uh, and I sat around and I'm like, I bought an album earlier and it, the perfect scenario to close off my year ended up right there at Vaughn's. So that you see, so you got, you got the experience. This yeah. is the travel part, right? Yeah. You had, you were in new Orleans. You were happily full of adult beverages. You were listening to great music. And then as if that weren't enough, you pull out the pork cloud, you know, like that's a win. Fuck. That's hard to beat. It was just, and, and you know, the next night was great. Don't get me wrong. I had a blast. Some smoker pulled up in front of me on the, in the middle of a town. I was right out by uh, uh, Tipitina's, mm-hmm. and, and which is a great music venue. Yeah, legendary. And, uh, and then there's a taco place right down the street. Have you had the tacos at the end of the corner? Of Tips, I don't. Think down so. the street from Tips. So if you walk out, if you walk out like the back door, like this, like the stage entrance back door, and you go right at the other end of the street is a taco place that is called, I'll, I'll, I'll text it to you. I'll send it to you. The problem is like the one thing I can't eat, cause I've heard great things about Juan's flying burrito as well. But the one right. thing I can't eat when I go to new Orleans is Mexican food because I feel like it's like, yeah. okay, it's little sacrilege. I get that. Yeah. Okay. Like I've got to eat everything. I can't get in Texas, but you if know, a, but if, if I just, I, I, if somebody says to me, there's the, one of the greatest tacos that I've ever had, then I'll is, try it. For in sure. mine, this was a top, top three. And I, and just so you know, I'm involved in a place in, in Tijuana. So like oh, I yeah. walked through TJ. I believe, I believe if you tell me it's awesome. top three, it's, go, it's awesome. going on the list. You know what I'm awesome. saying? Yeah. Really well done. Th- their organization needs a little bit of luck. They need a little bit of help with the organization. <laughs> I'll let you know that for me to wait 25 minutes to get a taco. It better be fucking awesome, but great spot. And I'll get Is that how long it took? You know, it was two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. They're open okay, until five. Yes. Maybe they were just warming up. I don't know. But it was uh, when I when I when I when I took that first bite, I I stopped. Like holy shit! The combination of flavors, the sauces that they make, the accoutrement. Here's me as a chef. The you know the toppings. Um, it, it was just it was a perfectly cooked taco. Every part okay, of it. You're was gonna just have to send me. I will. I will. Great tortillas. Okay. The whole nine yards. Yeah, I hope nice. I hope I don't dis- I hope I don't disappoint you, but I'm sure I'll I'll, tell, I'll make a yeah. deal. I'll make sure that I don't eat one sober, just so I'm having the same experience. Well, okay. 
Because you okay, never cool. know. I like right? that. No, you're right. Well, here's the thing is that I was drinking fucking Miller High Life the whole night. <laughs> okay. So it's not like I was throwing back a quality brewed IPA. I was drinking fucking Miller out of a can with a koozie. Right. Nice. So I well, went, I mean, it's hot down there. You got to keep your beer cold. Fuck, last week, two weeks ago, it was brutal. It was cold. It was like 45 when I got off the plane. Ooh. Yeah, and I left 17. Oh, yeah. You think that if you go down to Louisiana, it's going to treat you a little bit better than 45. I was but. so ready for like a fit, like a 60, 55, 60 ready to roll. So, um, well, Jess, hey, I don't want to take up your whole day because it's 11 a.m. for us up here. And uh, I, I have a feeling you and I can go for a while. So, hey, I, I might even like to do a, a round two or three. And, and if you'd like, I'd love to get you back on and, and have another conversation down the road. I have already put out the text. Uh, I'm going to do my best to get down to Camp Brisket. I want to check it out. I want to see what it's all about, honestly. It, uh, it's the, an amazing experience. And I'm free that, that, that two days, which is odd because <laughs> I take off. Oh, wait a second. No. Am I? Sorry. I'm doing this on air as we speak. Ten. It is clear. It's clear as a summer sky. I That's a nothing. happy sound. Yeah, I don't leave anywhere until the 16th. So there we go. We're good to go. Um, Jess, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you it. You bet. Hey, this was super fun. It's just always fun to get in a conversation with someone who's as passionate about food as, as yeah. you are. Well, I would love to uh, uh, continue this down the road if we can and see what we Heck can do. Yeah. So Jess, why don't you just finish this up real quick with uh, who you are, what you do, and how, how we can get in contact with you. Jess Priles is my name, uh, and I love all things red meat. Y'all can find me at jessprials.com, hardcorecarnivore.com. I'm on all the socials as Jess Priles, and basically I'm I'm here to share my love of cooking meat with y'all in all of the different ways and help make you a better meat cook, so check it out. And just so everybody knows, she is Australian and said y'all. Yeah, it happens. It's hybrid. I love it. All right, Jess, thanks so much for hopping on with us. I really appreciate it. And I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Talk to you all soon. Bye. Well, I don't know about you guys. That was a fucking conversation right there. And and the worst part about that conversation is that we had to squeeze that into one hour, which I never do because I think that we could have gone on pretty long. But there's a point where you get a guest on and, and anything over an hour to them, especially somebody who's as busy as those guys, you know, as these people are. I mean, look, we're walking into New Year's Eve and we're walking into holiday time. And you guys are going to hear this on Friday morning. But we recorded this today, which is, um, you know, the day before New Year's Eve. I guess it's the 30th right now. I don't even know what day it is. Um, but I don't think that there could have been anybody uh, bigger better, more informed, more educated, uh, and really more personable and, 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 and friendly to finish this year up than with Jess Pryles. So everybody, please do me a favor and follow her and check her out. And if you guys are in this barbecue meat world, trust me, I I don't know many that are more knowledgeable uh, than this lady right here. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for having Jess Pryles and checking her out on the show today. So Okay, here's where we are. End of the year. I want everybody to do me a huge favor uh, and and just kind of take a breath. It was a weird fucking year. So everybody step back for five seconds and just kind of take a breath and do a really quick reflection on what this year was. Uh, uh, You know, anybody who saw, uh, you know, um, uh, Mr. Rogers uh, in the neighborhood and all that stuff, there's a very poignant moment in that movie where he says, just stop and think about the people uh, that love you 
And and uh, and that and that moment of silence right there, if you just stop, I think it'll kind of slow everybody down for a second. So everybody just stop just for a second and just think about the year in the next five seconds. And we're going to do deadly stuff here. We're going to be silent. But think about that. Just in the last year, the crazy year that we've had, the politics, the fucking shootings and all the shit that's gone on this year and the negative energy that's being thrown through this whole country at this point and all the craziness and finger pointing and name calling and, you know, just the the, the world of negativity that is out there right now. And we all can just stop for a second and we can make that difference, I feel. If we just take a breath before we speak, if we just kind of, you know, look at it from a different angle when you're talking to somebody and, and listen to people. That's what I want you to do. Five seconds. Not hard. Take a breath for a couple seconds, everybody, and thank, uh, thank God. Thank everybody around you for what you got. It's a quick life, man, and we move quick and we die and all that good stuff. So... This year for me, 2020, is going to be a different year. I'm making a uh, huge pact to be a bigger, better, uh, much happier person um, than I have been in the past bunch of years of this crazy travel and, and, and parenting and friends and all that stuff. It's going to be a big year for me. So I'm really excited to be able to share all of that with you guys. I want to thank a whole bunch of people that make this just an awesome, awesome year. One, I'm going to thank my girls. My girls are pretty amazing people and um, they contributed to a huge part of my happiness throughout this year. So M and Fee, you guys are rock stars. and I'm very proud of the two girls and young women and women that you guys have become. Um, I want to thank Jerry and Jason for their constant support from RadioInfluence.com, their constant patience, their constant professionalism that they have had with me over this last year and what we've done. Um, so if you guys are interested in doing a podcast, I look, I say it all the time, man. It's really simple. There's a 100 percent chance of a no if you don't ask. Reach out to these guys if you guys have an idea for a podcast. And if they say no, then find something else. Do it on your own. Go do something else. But reach out to these guys because they've got a great vision of what they're doing and what they're building. And I could miss the, the success of this podcast, of all the shit that I got involved in before I hooked up with Jerry and Jason, all the crazy stuff that I had with people saying they would do a podcast with me or that they would help me do a podcast literally stopped in a matter of seconds just by me communicating with Jerry and Jason. So if you guys have an idea for a great podcast, do me a favor, just reach out to them. It's a 100% chance of a no. If you don't fucking ask Michelle Stockman out there at techno solution, who does, who is, is my kind of graphic confidant, my marketing uh, soundboard on a lot of things. She's a wonderful person to have in your business. And if you don't have somebody that you can bounce ideas off of in a creative manner, when it comes to your marketing, your website, your menus, your social media, then you're missing out. Go to Techno Solution, T-E-C-H-K-N-O-W, Techno Solution. Just Google it. Go on Facebook. Go on Instagram. Look these people up and try them. 
Maggie Gagliardi, who is just a wonderful friend, an amazing individual, and super, super talented, does all our promo pieces for all these shows. She's a wonderful person, and I want you guys to utilize her as much. Go and check her artwork out. That's at Mag's Art. Last but not least, I got to thank Sam Perdick. Sam is my assistant. She's a wonderful human being, and she puts up with my shit all the time. I love you, dear. I thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, happy new year. Happy end of 19. Thanks for listening to Duffified Live. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Hey gang, Jerry P. Tuck here, co-host of A Place for My Head. Each week, Brandon Thompson and I are going to be talking about the importance of mental health. We're going to be talking everything from stress, anxiety, different mental illnesses, different chronic illnesses, and frankly, the rigors of everyday life and how we all struggle to get through it. We're not medical professionals, but we are looking to start that conversation that needs to be had about the stigma around mental illness and how it affects us every single day. We'll talk to experts, but at the end of the day, A Place for My Head is all about real people with real stories about real life. Check out A Place for My Head with Brandon Thompson and myself, Jerry P. Tuck, each week on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.